You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have three scripture readings this afternoon. First of all, we're going to read from the Old Testament, Psalm 46. For the director of music, the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's turn to the New Testament. And we'll read a couple of passages there. First of all, from Romans 8. We'll read Romans 8, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, 
brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Finally, one last reading. First Peter 1, we'll read verses 13 to 25. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This afternoon, the sermon is on the truth of God's word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 1 of the Hutterberg Catechism. Let's now read that. Here we confess. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, All things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, 
how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved Congregation of Christ our Lord, this afternoon we're beginning another series of sermons on the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism can be considered like a roadmap for the Bible. It doesn't take the place of Scripture, but it helps us to see the important teachings in it. It helps us to organize those teachings in a systematic way. As you well know, the Bible is a very big and very diverse book. So with the Heidelberg Catechism, we have its important teachings organized in a simple and, yes, also memorable format. The Catechism was written in Germany in 1563 during the later years of the Great Reformation. Its primary authors are usually considered to be Zacharias or Sinus and Caspar Olivianus. They were young men. They were 28 and 26 when the Catechism was written. Young men who had been appointed professors. Professors of theology at Heidelberg. Such a young age. It's remarkable. They had been appointed by Elector Frederick III, the ruler of the Palatinate. The Palatinate was a German province. Elector Frederick had arranged for the writing of this catechism with the idea that it would be used for teaching the young people under his rule and they would also guide the pastors and teachers of the Palatinate. Up till now, I suppose that a lot of this is familiar to you. However, has it ever struck you that this catechism, this reformed catechism, was written in Germany? Germany is usually associated with Lutheranism, not with the Calvinistic Reformation faith found in the Hadebrook Catechism. And you need to know that there was a rift between Calvinists and Lutherans in the time the Catechism was written. To have a German Catechism, the Catechism was originally written in German for Germans, to have a Catechism like that that was Calvinistic was unusual to say the least. And it actually created some controversy. And the patron of the Catechism, Frederick III, was very aware of this. And it bothered him enormously. When the Catechism was written and published, German Lutherans tried to raise a stink. They charged that Frederick had turned Calvinistic. Now we might think, well, big deal. And it wouldn't have been a big deal if it hadn't have been for the Peace of Augsburg. The Peace of Augsburg was a treaty. And under this treaty between the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, and the German princes, there were only two religions allowed in Germany, Lutheranism and Roman Catholicism. And so immediately after our catechism was published, there was enormous opposition to it. And it was Elector Frederick III who caught the brunt of it. And eventually, he was called to appear before the Holy Roman Emperor, who by this time was Maximilian II. He was called to appear at the Diet of Augsburg. The Diet 
It's not something you eat. Anything to do with eating, it's a, a meeting. Everything was up in the air as he was called to this diet. Frederick could have lost everything. He could have lost his office as elector of the Platinate. He could have lost his life. He could also have lost the catechism. As he appeared at Augsburg in 1566, Frederick was charged with promoting Calvinism through the Heidelberg Catechism. Now you might think, well, who cares? Why does that matter for today? Why are you telling us this? Well, brothers and sisters, because still today there are those who see the Heidelberg Catechism as an expression of human ideas and human opinions, human doctrines. The Heidelberg Catechism, in other words, is Calvinism. Well, that's not the Bible. Frederick made his defense to Emperor Maximilian, and I believe his words should be heard today as well. He reaffirmed, first of all, the faith that he had confessed. He did this with the other Lutheran princes and on two occasions, in 1558 and in 1561. And after he had done that, he went on to say, and I quote, "...in this faith I continue firmly on no other ground than because I find it established in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments." nor do I believe that anyone can successfully show that I have done or received anything that stands opposed to that creed, but that my catechism, word for word, is drawn not from human, but from divine sources. The biblical references that stand in the margin will show. We're told by history that Frederick faced Maximilian. Keep in mind that Maximilian was the most powerful human ruler of his day. He did this alongside his son, John Casimir. And Frederick's son stood beside him with an open Bible. And then Frederick challenged the emperor with these words. And I quote again, What I have elsewhere publicly declared to your majesty in a full assembly of princes, namely that if anyone of whatever age, station, or class he may be, even the humblest, can teach me something better from the Holy Scriptures, I will thank Him from the bottom of my heart and be readily obedient to the divine truth. This I now repeat in the presence of this assembly of the whole empire. If there be anyone among my lords and friends who will undertake it, I am prepared to hear Him. And here are the Scriptures at hand. Should it please Your Imperial Majesty to undertake this task, I would regard it as the greatest favor and acknowledge it with suitable gratitude. Frederick made that challenge, bold challenge, and it went unanswered. And so the Heidelberg Catechism passed into history as one of the most well-received summaries of scriptural teaching. And so today, this is our confession, also passed down to us. And we do well to follow Frederick's lead and emphasize that this is not a compilation of human thoughts and, and human doctrines, what a bunch of men have thought up. Rather, this is the truth of God distilled into 52 Lord's Days. We can be so thankful for the witness of Frederick. And we can also pray that we will continue to have the same spirit. Not only of boldness, but also of being 
teachable from the Scriptures. Well, as we turn to our catechism, we find it begins by asking that familiar question about our only comfort in life and death. Today, many people think of comfort and they think of being comfortable. If you've got lots of money, lots of toys, lots of everything, then you've got comfort. But that's not how God's Word defines or speaks about comfort. There, comfort is having something or someone to encourage you when when things have taken a bad turn, when your life has gone south. And if we follow the teachings of Scripture, we know that sin, the sin of Adam, has made all humanity take a bad turn. Left to ourselves, we are at war with our Creator. Left to ourselves, we hate God and our neighbor. We're on the highway to hell. And even when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus, we still face the effects of remaining sin in our lives. And with our sins, we cause trouble for ourselves. We cause trouble for others around us. And so we need to have true biblical comfort. We need someone to come along and help us and give us hope to encourage us. And in this first Lord's Day, the Catechism beautifully summarizes the teaching of Scripture that our comfort in life and death comes from the triune God. That's our theme for this afternoon. And we'll unfold that theme by briefly looking at each of the three persons of the Trinity. First of all, we look at the work of the Father. We learn from Scripture that God the Father does many things. But for our purposes this afternoon, we want to focus on His work of preservation. The Catechism summarizes this teaching by saying that without the will of our Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from our heads. Indeed, all things must work together for our salvation. God the Father created us. But He also continues to take care of us each and every day. We can see that in in Psalm 46 as well. In that psalm, if you look at verses 1 through 3, it's very clear that God is our refuge. These verses appear to be speaking about an earthquake. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There's some kind of catastrophic event shaking up the psalmist's world. I've never been in an earthquake, but from what I've heard and read, it sounds a lot like what we have in Psalm 46. It seems like the earth will give way. The mountains will fall into the ocean. In the face of that, The psalmist says in verse 1 that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God will protect even when the mountains are falling down. God is always the safe place to hide. God will keep the psalmist safe. And God will do the same for you, brothers and sisters. Believing in the Lord Jesus, you can be sure that no matter what is going on in your life, the Heavenly Father will be your refuge. 
His love for you is sure and strong. And that gives us comfort. It's because we know then that nothing happens to us by chance. There's no such thing as luck, whether good or bad. God is always in control. And as He promises in Romans 8, He will work out everything for our good. Indeed, Catechism says, all things must work together for my salvation. That's a almost direct quote from Romans 8.28. We have to remind ourselves of that when tragedy strikes in our lives. This happened to some of us this past week. Or when there's pain and there's suffering and there's trouble. You may not understand how something so bad can ever turn out good. But God, your Father, knows. He's in control. And as we travel on, we do so in faith, trusting Him, holding on to His sure promises. Doing that, we can have comfort in life and death, knowing that the Father in heaven, He loves us. He loves you. We also have comfort in knowing that the Lord Jesus died for us and we belong to Him. The Catechism says He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Now you might recognize some of those words, not just because they're in the Catechism and you've probably memorized them at some point. You should also recognize them because they come from what we read in 1 Peter 1. That passage tells us that Christ bought us. He bought us from the empty manner of life handed down to us from our forefathers. Christ bought us from our old sinful way of living. And He didn't do that with something that could waste away. Peter specifically mentions silver and gold. Silver and gold can burn up. You can throw it in the fire and it will disappear. Money, same thing. But the Lord Jesus gave something imperishable something that can never disappear, something that can never be destroyed. His precious blood was the perfect, imperishable sacrifice. And because it was so perfect, we can know ourselves to be God's children now. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. That's good news. That's real comfort. The comfort is in belonging to Jesus Christ in life and death with your body and your soul. And if you reflect on it for any, any length of time, it'll strike you eventually that this notion is entirely counter-cultural. And it doesn't just go against the flow of our culture. It goes against the fallen nature of humanity. People don't like the idea of belonging to somebody else. Teenagers sometimes say to their parents, you don't own me. Or women 
might think that their husbands or boyfriends are possessive. I suppose it could happen the other way around too. Belonging to somebody else gets framed in a negative way. But brothers and sisters, belonging to Christ is different. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a comforting thing. And why is that? Because the truth is that whether, whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, you will belong to somebody. You will be in somebody's hand. If you don't belong to Christ, you will belong to the devil. And while belonging to Satan for might, might seem fun for a time, later on, things will get very, very hard. It's guaranteed. Find God's Word on that in, in Proverbs 13.15. The way of the unfaithful is hard. The way of the unfaithful is hard. It will be hard in this age, and it will even be harder in the age to come. But when, like we heard this morning, we fix our eyes on Jesus, we hear Him promising us that He is a good Master. He is a good Shepherd. Listen to His voice in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see it, don't you? Belonging to Him is a good thing. He will give us comfort. And that's not to say that following Him is always easy. But I can't say this. It is always the way of blessing. And when we belong to the Lord Jesus, we also have a hope for the future. We have the comfort of knowing that all the blessings we have received in this life, they will find their fulfillment. Ultimate culmination, consummation, when we pass away. Or when the Lord returns. Whichever happens first. So there is comfort with the Father. And there is comfort with the Son. And of course, there's also comfort in knowing the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen again to what the Catechism says about His work. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Christ has given us many gifts, and one of those gifts is His Holy Spirit. Probably the greatest gift. The Holy Spirit living in us. Every believer has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. As we heard last Sunday. Romans 8.15 says that we have received the Spirit of Sonship. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes our adoption as God's sons a reality. He does that by giving and by working in us new life in Christ Jesus. So without the work of the Holy Spirit, Christ's work 
would be meaningless. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be lost forever. We need Him for our only comfort in life and death. And the Holy Spirit does a number of things in us and for us. The Catechism points out two of those things in Lord's Day 1. The first thing is that He gives us assurance. That should be a familiar word to you. Because we heard about assurance lately as Pastor Vischer was finishing up the last articles of the Canons of Dort. Assurance is simply knowing for sure or certain that we are God's children through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we read about in Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How does He do this? He works faith in our hearts. Faith in God's promises. God promises to save all who believe in the Lord Jesus. Believing that Christ is our Savior, we can know for sure that we are God's children. Of course, that's, that, that is a great comfort. Because if you are God's child, then God's power, His almighty strength means that nothing and nobody can take God's love away from you. Think of the words at the, the end of the, uh, Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, God will always be our Father who loves us and cares for us. But the Holy Spirit does more. He also sanctifies us or makes us holy. Catechism says He makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That's talking about sanctification. And there are two aspects to that. You know, there is a definitive sanctification. That means that the Holy Spirit makes it so that God looks at us and He sees holy people. He sees people who are set apart for Himself, for service to Him. There's that one aspect. And then there's also the other aspect, the progressive aspect of sanctification. This is the part of sanctification where we are daily growing in our walk with the Lord. And it's the second aspect that the Catechism is really working with when it says that the Holy Spirit makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. As believers, we still have remaining sin in our lives. The old nature. But the Holy Spirit, He is an integral part of the process of putting that old nature to death. He helps us to fight and conquer the monster. He helps us to grow in our walk with God. Even though we will not be perfect in this life, the Holy Spirit is leading us so that we do grow as Christians. With Christ's Spirit in us, we increasingly let ourselves be led in ways of holiness and righteousness. Think of uh, Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We must be led by the Spirit of God if we desire life. To be led by the Spirit of God. We need to focus on the means which He uses to lead us. 
The Holy Spirit uses means. He uses tools, instruments. And the Holy Spirit's tool is this. Simply the Word of God. The Bible. So if we are to be led by the Spirit, we need to be listening to what God says in His Word. And we do that with the preaching of the Word as we go to the worship services. But at the beginning of this new season of Bible study, we can also think about how we do that with one another in our group Bible studies. So that means we grow in the Word together. Brothers and sisters, if you're not a regular member of a Bible study group, not committed to being a part of one, let me challenge you this afternoon. Tonight, the young peoples are meeting for the first time. If you're in that age range, I hope to see you there. If you're in some other age group, maybe I won't see you at your Bible study groups. But that shouldn't detract you from making it a priority in your life. And perhaps you're, you're thinking to yourself, I went ten years ago, or whatever other length of time. I went. I even went a number of times, but I don't get anything out of it. Brothers and sisters, don't go for what you can get out of it. Go for what you, being led by the Holy Spirit in the Word, what you can offer, what you can contribute. As we work with the Word, we can't be developing a spiritual lone ranger mentality. There can't be spiritual lone rangers in the church. We need each other. We are a body. Each of us in whom the Holy Spirit lives. Remember, we're not only individually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture also tells us that we are corporately or collectively the Holy Spirit's temple. And think also of what the Lord says in Philippians 2.4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, how is this work of the Spirit that we've been talking about a comfort to us? Well, think of how the Spirit continually leads us back to God's promises and God's ways. When we believe in the certainties of God's Word and when we are led to follow His ways, then life in a sinful, messy world becomes more bearable. But most important, it is a comfort because we know that we are living in communion with God, our Creator. We're living for Him. Giving Him the praise, the love, the thankfulness that we were created for. And here you could think of the first question and answer of another Reformed Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Why were we created? to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So comfort 
is found entirely with God. Misery comes from man. Comfort comes from God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this comfort, let me ask you, is it yours? Notice how the catechism is so personal. What is your only comfort in life and death? And that's your singular, not your plural. Can you say with the catechism that I am not my own? And so on. Can you say that? Something to think about. The second question and answer provides us with the outline for where the catechism is going to take us over the next 51 Lord's Days. So to live and die in the joy of this comfort, we're going to need to hear about our sin and misery. As much as we don't like it, we need it. We'll need to be reminded of our deliverance from sin and misery. And finally, we'll need to hear again the proper response to this deliverance, which is our thankfulness. And as we go through the catechism again, Sunday after Sunday, we'll see how the whole teaching of the Bible gives us comfort. It directs us to a proper faith in God and the praise that will be offered to His name, not only now, but forever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.